All right. Hello, church. I want to welcome you all this morning. If you're new with us, my name is Derek Crawford, and I'm one of the pastors here at Zion, and we're so glad that you guys are joining us. And I want to build off of what Megan said real quick. Um, if this is your, like, maybe you don't have a church home, or maybe you've only come to the park, as we transition into the dock, I want to personally invite you. I want you guys to be a part of it. I want you to come in and experience what the next chapter, the next season that we do here at Zion because it's really cool and I want you guys to be a part of it. So uh, we have one more week in the park and then we'll be going in there and I hope to see you guys join us uh, as we move into that next into that next season. All right. Well, I was going to talk about the launch event, but man, Megan did it better. So we'll just let her do it. But last week I introduced you to this concept called Jesus plus nothing. This is the idea that Jesus alone is all that is needed for salvation. That there is nothing else that needs to be added to Jesus. Simply, Jesus is enough. But like I pointed out last week, Jesus is such an encompassing individual. He is God, and God is complex. So to help us understand the nature of Jesus, we, we turn to the New Testament. The idea was to take all of the witnesses, all of the authors, all the accounts, of the New Testament to study and to see if there was a common voice, one theme that seemed to be found throughout all of the New Testament, one theme that was found in every single book. But me being Derek, it's not just one theme, we found three. And so we are talking about that second theme today. But the three, the three themes are community, cross, and new creation. And so last week, I discussed the importance of a healthy church community, while also noting the negative and maybe poorly functioning communities, the effect they have when the culture does not reflect Jesus. And the basic idea is that scripture indicates that we are meant to be in community with one another. We are meant to, and I don't mean just come to church. We are meant to live life with one another. And it's not just option. It's not just something we can choose, but it's the will of God. So today we're going to continue to explore those three themes, but we'll be focusing on the cross. And so if you heard my sermon last week, you might have noticed the kind of high energy and humorous nature of the message. And to be honest with you, this week is going to feel a little bit different. This week, my heart is a little heavier there's a, there's a lot going on. I think uh, Jaden said it best. We've had a lot of deaths. We've had a lot of uh, people in hospice. We've had just a lot going on. And that impacts the culture and the, the feel of church. And so when writing this message, I can tell it impacted my heart as I was doing it. Having to say goodbye to friends and loved ones. Watching people grieve. That's a lot. There's a lot of pain and suffering and death that we're experiencing. But the thing is, it's okay. It's okay to feel that way. Sometimes we just need to sit in these moments. Sometimes we need to sit and grieve with God. And there's a practice that is found, it's like 42 times in the book of Psalms called laments. And a lament is a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. In these laments, the authors would often cry out to God, in anger, mourning. They would plea with God. 
They would actually even ask him to smite their enemies. They were just so frustrated. They were so angry. They were so upset. And they would have just all come pouring out, come rushing out of them. They would plea with God. And then eventually they would remember God's faithfulness and put their trust in him. But what it does is it shows us it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be frustrated. And it's okay to sit in it. So the nature of this week actually kind of fits in really well with what we're talking about today, talking about the cross. And so I want to use a word to kind of help us narrow our focus a little bit. And I want to talk about gaps. I'm not usually one to use definitions in sermons, but here we go. When I'm talking about a gap, I'm talking about a break or a hole in an object or between two objects. During creation, we were one with God walking and living in the garden together. Then sin entered the world and pulled us apart from God. That's when sin entered the world. And here's the thing. It was humanity's fault. And what, not, what happened next is, can only be described as that gap beginning to form, as that separation began to pull and pull us further and further away from God as sin continues to fill up our lives. And that space, that space, that gap that I'm talking about between us and God begins to get bigger and bigger. So here's an illustration. I think it provides a good example. Since we live on a lake, we're a lake community. How many of you have ever tried to step off of a dock onto a boat, only to find that the boat begins to pull away from the dock? And in my scenario, I'm now stretched out over the water with one foot on the dock, one foot on the boat. As it continues to start to pull away, the distance becomes so great that I do what? I fall into the water. Painfully fall into the water, probably. The gap is wide. And this is how it is with God as well. God is that dock. He does not move. He does not change. But because sin enters, we begin to drift away from him. And that gap begins to get bigger and bigger until we eventually fall. We fall into the water. And in this case, the result of that sin is death. Because the reality is the result of sin is death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. After the fall, sin held humanity captive. The Old Testament provides countless examples of the tragic consequence of sin. And one of the main effects has to be the separation that causes between God and humanity. And the idea that seems to be a constant battle that appears to be on a circular loop. The people would sin and pull away from God until they were filled with suffering. Then they would uh, cry out to God and God would send leaders, prophets, angels, judges to help reveal God's character to help get the Israelites back on track. And this would offer a temporary reprieve. But eventually, sin would retake hold and pull humanity farther and farther away again. This cycle continued for thousands of years, and there seems to be no way to break free of that repetition. Sin holds humanity captive and keeps us enslaved. And this terminology might feel strange. It might sound weird to some of us. But it means that humanity is bad. We're bad at resisting sin and temptation. 
Think of any time you were told not to do something where you knew better, but you chose to do it anyway. You couldn't help yourself. The sin I like to think about with this is with gossip. When you know something and you just have to share it, you know you shouldn't, but you can't help but participate in that conversation with others. You can't help but to gossip. It's impossible for us to completely resist sin. And so oftentimes, most of the time, we give in to that desire to the point where we're basically where we don't have a choice. And that's how we become enslaved to sin. So I'm hoping that kind of makes sense for anyone that doesn't understand that terminology. And then on top of that, there's also a continual process of the Israelites becoming actually enslaved to outside nations as well. Whether it be the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, or even Rome. By the time of Jesus, the people of God were craving for a king, a savior to vanquish enemies, to restore the Israelites to glory. This has always been pretty relatable to me. Even today, I find myself often wanting a powerful savior to come and end the sinful suffering of this world. So I get it. I feel for the Israelites. And so this brings us to Jesus. He was nothing like the king we just described. He came to earth as a baby for one. He did not bring an army. He may have came from the bloodline of King David, but he did not come with a sword, nor did he use his power to vanquish our enemies. He was the opposite of all of those things. Instead of a lion, we received a slaughtered lamb. Instead of getting a savior who fought for us, we got one who was willing to die for us instead. However, the biggest perceived disappointment would be that we received a human. Jesus came as fully man. I'm not sure if everyone has slowed down enough to understand what this means. Jesus was flesh and blood, giving up his God status, nature, power to become fully human. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. In other words, he emptied himself. And then it continues. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. For me, there are three important reasons why it's so crucial that Jesus came to earth as a human. First, it was to display the full character and nature of God. Humanity got to see who God was, and it displayed God's love for his creation. Matthew 1, 22 through 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to the son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This God with us phrase shows God's desire. He wants to be one with us. He wants to recomplete that unity without the pull from sin, without the gap that we've brought into the relationship. And we try to fill that gap ourselves. We try to fill it with earthly things like drugs, alcohol, being busy, affairs, unhealthy relationships, acts of service, being nice. We are trying to find a way to fill that gap. 
And it's easy to forget that Jesus is the answer. Jesus made man is the first step to filling that gap. The second reason this is important, more reflective than maybe scriptural, it helped humanity relate to a very complex God. Jesus is God, and, it, and just read the gospel to see how good he really is, his love, his compassion, his kindness, his truth. And a lot of people have their own view of God. Maybe he's a distant God, or an angry or jealous God, or maybe he's a God who just doesn't care. None of those represent the character and nature we find in Jesus, the character and nature we find in Scripture. But instead, he became our teacher, our friend, our Lord, to inspire us to be more, to love more, to resist the sinful world around us. And to me, this feels like a really important part of this process, to have a God that we can relate to. However, the final reason was to fulfill prophecy and to begin humanity's redemption. As I said earlier, that the wages of sin is death, the natural result of sin entering the world is death. The inevitable consequence, falling into that gap. And Jesus came to fulfill that requirement. Jesus came to die for our sins. If you want the theological word for this arrangement, it's called atonement, which is basically means to make right. And there are many different views on atonement, but each offer a very similar result. Jesus takes our place and fulfills the requirement with his death on the cross. Jesus became flesh in order to die for our sins. Blood was shed for us. So now I want to shift focus for, the, uh, for a second to discuss suffering. And I know this, is, this might feel like a bleak message, but I promise I'm getting to the hope. I'm getting somewhere but we have to understand what the cross means in order for us to truly understand what it does for us. Jesus' death was not fun, and it was full of suffering. He experienced a terrible, terrible death. He was betrayed, beaten, verbally abused, disrespected, stripped of all dignity. And the whole process was excruciatingly painful. He suffered. He suffered to the fullest extent of the word. And in Matthew 16, 21 through 24, Jesus tells his disciples what is about to happen. In Matthew 16, 21, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law, and that he would be killed but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. And this was hard for the disciples to hear. And Peter tells Jesus that basically he's like, you're wrong. None of those things are going to happen. We won't let it happen to you. Peter wanted to support his friend, but Jesus rebukes Peter and offers him a bigger picture. So it continues in verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And at first glance, this verse can come across as quite cruel. As Jesus, but Jesus knows the devil was at work trying to sway his resolve. 
Just like he did in the garden when he convinces Adam and Eve to eat from the tree, Peter was only seeing things through a narrow human perspective. And so I'm sure hearing Jesus say that, that would have been very hard to hear. Your teacher, your friend saying that to you. But I believe this next statement is even harder. It's harder, or at least more challenging. Maybe not harder, but it's definitely more challenging. It continues. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? The suffering of Jesus is an important thing to note because the story of the cross would be incomplete without it. A good chunk of the story is spent describing Christ's suffering. And it continues to reinforce this humanity. It continues to reinforce who Jesus is. What kind of God can be abused and punished like this? The Pharisees and teachers of the law took this as proof of their conviction that Jesus was not God, but in reality, Jesus was. And in essence, he was setting the stage for his resurrection. Jesus' death on the cross was inevitable and necessary. This was the path God chose for humanity's redemption. Jesus' death saved humanity. So I want to talk about what I call the three days of pain. This is something that I like to think about when reflecting on the cross. What would have been going through the minds of Jesus' followers directly following his death? What must have been going through their minds for those three days? After the death of Jesus, they were most likely filled with sorrow, fear, anger, shame, doubt, defeat, hopelessness. They just watched as their teacher and friend died. Even though they were warned of his death, they must have thought they had just lost their Savior, their Messiah, the King that was meant to save them. They probably lamented and cried out to God. They probably felt abandoned and a little guilty. Could they have done more to save him? Are they going to be imprisoned and killed next for being associated with Jesus? I bet that small gap of time felt like an eternity. And here's the part I hope you're listening to. This scary gap in time that the followers of Jesus experienced might feel very similar to what many of us are experiencing today. Even though Jesus died and saved us from our sins, there is still this gap before Jesus eventually returns. There is still this time where death, pain, and suffering occurs. Where we might also feel sorrow, anger, fear, hopelessness, hopelessness, doubt, and shame. It's easy to forget about that in-between. Being a Christian is an amazing experience, but it does not shield us from suffering. It does not take away our pain. Scripture offers us something more, though. We have something that the disciples did not. We have the Holy Spirit within us. 
And because of scripture, we understand the hope that is found in his resurrection. And so now it's time to look at the resurrection. As previously stated, Jesus had to die. Humanity does not know anything beyond death. To us, death feels final. In a way, it feels as though death, sin, and the devil has won. Evil seems to triumph for good. This feels so true sometimes. It does feel like evil wins the day. But as Christians, we know that is not the case. The story does not end with the death of Jesus, but instead Jesus is raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. If the same Holy Spirit lives in you, he will give life to your bodies in the same way. A lot of time, Jesus is used as the example that we are to follow. And this is true, but it extends way deeper than just moral behavior. We are called to follow him. In Romans 6, 4 through 6, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old selves were crucified with Christ so that the sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. This is tough to understand because we are called into the same suffering, death, and resurrection that Jesus experienced. And through that, we get to experience a new life. And that's what's going to lead us into next week's topic about new creation. Which of the three, that is the one I'm most excited to talk about. That's where the hope is found. That is where lives are changed, lives are transformed, and that's what's really exciting about being a Christian. But before we get to new creation, there's still this idea of a future hope found within the resurrection. There's a Latin term, Christus Victor. This simply means that Christ is the victor. Jesus was victorious over death, sin, and the devil. No power on earth can stop the power of God. Jesus' death and resurrection displayed God's power over evil, and it established Jesus' place as king. We talked about it about a month ago when discussing the Lord's Prayer, and when uh, we talked about Jesus is, is, a, is heavy. His triumph over evil established that Jesus is Lord over this world. Death cemented his kingship. Remember at the beginning when I talked about how God's people were in desperate need of a king? They wanted it so badly. Well, Jesus is that king. And he did defeat our enemies. But it wasn't Rome or any other foreign power. Instead, it was the conquering of sin and death. It's so much more. So much more than just a, a king that goes to war. Jesus is everything. Last week, I promised to help find the simplicity within the complex nature of Christianity. And so far, I've probably failed at that task. We bumped up against so many theological, tough theological debates and topics with this message. And this topic is pretty heavy in general. But here's the simple recap of the cross. Sin pulled us from God. Being apart from God equals death. We needed Jesus to save us. 
His death and resurrection closes that gap. His victory over death establishes his kingdom. He is to be Lord over our lives, and we are going to experience a new life through his resurrection. So here's the big idea. Christ died on the cross in order to close that gap. We needed Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could return to perfect unity and oneness with God. Humanity needed to be made new. And we need to remember this during the tough times of life. When things get hard and we feel like giving up and times will be hard. This world is a tough place at times. There will be times when we need to lament to God. But we must think of the cross, and I'm not talking about just the symbol that we wear. I'm talking about Jesus' selfless sacrifice on the cross and his powerful, Holy Spirit-filled resurrection. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 18. We were pressed on every side by troubles, but we were not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith as the psalmist had when they said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every single day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce to us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things we cannot see. For the things we see now will soon be gone. The things we cannot see last forever.